There are a lot of business mentors out there, but few are quite like our next guest, Christine Nicholson. Christine is an author, speaker, and multi-award winning professional business mentor and UK Business Mentor of the Year 2020. Christine's three-way approach of providing business mentoring, succession planning, and exit planning has made her a resounding success with her clients. Christine is all about growing your business, increasing its value, and getting more money for the sale of your business, which is something that we all dream of. If, like me, this is something that you'd like to know more about, then join us after the introduction. Hello and welcome. I'm Clayton M. Koch, and I'm also the host for The Cashflow Show, the radio show that's disguised in the shape of a podcast, but with so much more. Every week, we'll be interviewing someone inspiring from the business world and finding out how they started in business, what their trials and tribulations were, and how they intend to grow their business in the future. We will also be finding out about what they do in their spare time, as well as asking them to pick a book, a film, and a favorite single or album, and to share their reasons for doing so. So why not join us at The Cashflow Show? It's not just a radio show, it's a whole new way of doing business. The Cashflow Show, coming to you from the city of London, real people, real business, real talk. Welcome to The Cashflow Show, Christine. Yeah, thank you for having me. You're most welcome. So after that interesting introduction, which I think I've tried to cover your, your mega career in a short period of time, <laughs> can you tell the Cashflow crew what you do at Christine Nicholson Business Mentor UK? Okay. So a lot of people ask about mentoring and what's the difference between mentoring and coaching. And uh, fundamentally, I do three things. I do business valuations, I do non-financial assessments, and I do the business mentoring. And the reason why mentoring is different to coaching is at its base level, a coach doesn't need the experience and a mentor has all the experience and uses some coaching techniques. And it's really about unlocking all of the potential and giving a business owner somebody to talk to, which sounds very passive. But if you talk to any of my clients or anybody who's had a really good business mentor, they will say to you, can't quite tell you exactly what happens, but something happens when I talk about my business really openly to somebody who's been in my shoes and it helps me understand exactly where I need to go to next. Well, that's an excellent answer and something obviously that I didn't really understand the difference between a mentor and a coach because there are so many that exist now and you probably have a, an understanding or a reasoning as to why that is. In terms of you as Christine Nicholson, why mentoring? I have literally stood on the shoulders of giants and they've not been big names. They've just been ordinary human beings who've been through whatever I've been through and they have shown me the way. So my first mentor was probably when I was around nine years old. Uh, and then I had another really good one when I was 14. So these would have been life mentors. Then when I went into business, I was I was just really privileged to meet some extraordinary people who, and it wasn't like they opened doors to other places. They, op they opened a door in me, they opened a window that allowed me to understand exactly what my potential was. And also, um, quite a number of them stopped me. I, I'm going to say stepping off the path. But what I mean by that is they've made the mistakes themselves. So they've pointed out the mistakes and said, look, you can do that if you want to. I'm not telling you not to. But when I did that, this is what happened. So if you want to avoid falling flat on your face, or as, as one of my mentors said, if you want to avoid someone stealing your chips, <laughs> then, <laughs> then, um, then perhaps you might want to think about this in a different way. And that's the great thing about a mentor. A mentor will never tell you, do this. What they will do is say, you can do that. And here's the consequences. I just want you to be aware that you can make that decision, but here's the consequences. And maybe there's an alternative way of thinking about this. It's the stealing your chips that worries me because anybody who steals your <laughs> chips, there's bound to be a fallout from that. So, I mean, yeah. I, if anybody avoids you having your chips stolen, then they're the person to be working with. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that your life path and obviously mentors at 9, 14 and going forward. What's your background? How did you start being Christine Nicholson? Well, I 
I was born into a military family. My dad was in the Navy. And all I ever wanted to do was two things when I was a kid. I wanted to be an officer of the court. And uh, that could have been anything from barrister, prosecutor, defender, judge. I wanted to be the lot. I wanted to be the judge, the jury, the executionist. <laughs> and um, uh, and it really was that grim. Um, and then I, but I left school at 16. And I went into banking for a couple of um, soul-sucking years while I waited to join the Navy because all I wanted to do was follow my dad into the Navy. And I joined the, I joined the Navy, had the best five years of my life, um, but sadly realised that I was chronically seasick. And um, if I wanted to keep my stomach lining, I was going to have to go and do something else. So I left the Navy and qualified as an accountant. I knew instantly that accountancy in itself was not for me. But what I did do is I used the education. So I used the studying, which was four years at night school. So while I was working full time, and then the minute I qualified, I got the best job on earth. It had two lines on the job description, keep us legal, find ways of adding value to this business. (laughs) And keep us legal meant it was a group of companies. And all I had to do was group consolidated accounts and the VAT return and tax returns, which I quickly systemized because they're as boring as anything. So everything I didn't like doing, I systemized that really quickly. I, you know, I had all of these businesses to go and find ways of adding value. So it was really exciting. It was like the best apprenticeship in running businesses ever. And that's where I got, I cut my teeth on all my exit planning because the, it was a family owned business. The, the next generation weren't interested in coming into the business. All the brothers were, were at retirement age. So as a team within that group of businesses, we packaged it up and, and, and sold it in various bundles, which just gave me lots and lots of experience. And then I went off and ran businesses for myself, started off my first grown up business is what, what I always call it. I had lots of side hustles before then, started up my first business. And before I knew it, I was employing you know, hundreds of people turning over multi-millions really, really quickly. No idea that that was not normal. I literally had no idea that this was unusual. When I sold out of that and I, I got the best managing director replacement, she's still there. Business has been going 20 years. I got my best replacement in and shipped on out to go and do other things. Actually, part of those other things was consulting and mentoring. And gradually over the years, I've done less and less consulting, more and more mentoring. I want to go a little step back when you mentioned being an officer of the court. (laughs) What influenced you to want that? Well, when I was a kid, um, my grandmother was blind. And so she didn't have a television, but she had this, what we call a TV box, which was like a radio, like a big radio, but it received a TV signal. And frequently when we were spending time with my grandma, she listened to Crown Court. And of course, this was Monday to Friday. I think it was about 40, 30 or 40 minutes every day. Not you again, another Crown Court devotee. I I know, I know I heard that podcast with the Crown Court and I was like, it, it honestly, it floods you back with such rich memories because it was so real. Well, it was real. And for those that are listening and wondering what is this Crown Court business, Joanna Toch who is a uh, barrister, was actually on the Cashflow show and did an episode regarding her from the Family Law Cafe. And she mentioned her inspiration, like myself, or being heavily influenced by Crown Court, which is a a British TV drama, which was based around the court proceedings that lasted, as you said, Christine, from Monday to Friday on which the verdict was on Friday. And it was effectively like you were in court TV before court TV existed. I'd I'd say it was better than court TV because it was really, I'm going to say undramatic. Like there was none of this histrionics. And so you actually got to really hear the story of what was going on. You know, there would be a defence lawyer that might be particularly charming or, you know, just have a way about him or her. Or sometimes it would be the prosecutor that would be the real personality. And of course, I couldn't see it. We could only hear it. And of course, when you hear things it and you can't see them, you haven't got the visual stimulation, you hear in a very different way. And I actually put Crown Court down to the way that I conduct my mentoring 
because mentoring really is all about listening and really tuning into not just the words that are being said, but the how of it being said and the emotion that's going on underneath. You you can really, I feel, dial into the root cause of problems, which is usually not the words that are being said. There's usually something underneath. And I really put Crown Court in, in as a magic lesson in listening, purely because you really had you you if you listened, you really tuned into the emotion and the depth and the characters and how certain situations were being manipulated just by what you could hear. It was it was a, it's a masterclass in in how to listen. Indeed, and what I found interesting was that I once read an article about Ray Charles, the African-American uh, R&B soul singer pioneer, and who would always castigate his band. And he said, the problem with you guys, you listen with your eyes. You don't listen with mm. your ears. Yeah. And which is what you're referring to, which is absolutely yeah. excellent. Very, very, very interesting. Very interesting. If you think about a lot of musicians, you can tell the passion of a musician about the ones that play and sing with their eyes closed. Indeed. You know, the ones that, are, especially if they're jamming with other musicians that they don't normally play with, mm. and they're so tuned in because they are absolutely using their, their ears. You've now gone from the Navy because of being seasick. <laughs> You've obviously expressed your desire to be an officer of the court. And you've got your first taste of going into businesses and making them happen. How does your particular brand work for businesses? Because you do have a very strong brand, a very strong brand. How does it work? Thank you. I think because I focus really on only one or two things. So exiting succession planning, most people don't really know the difference between the two and, and they usually get bundled together. From a business owner's perspective, I really focus on making sure that the business isn't going to collapse if they do. Because exit planning, everybody thinks, is about selling the business. And it is absolutely not about selling the business at all. It's about the fact that a business owner has three jobs. And, and this is fundamentally where I always come from. As a business owner, you have three jobs. You are you have a job in the business. You, you know, you physically turn up, you do your nine to five, there's a tasks that you do. You direct it. So you're controlling the business uh, as a director. And you're also a shareholder. So you own the business. What, what many owner-managed businesses never recommend, recognize is that those are three distinct jobs. And actually, you should aspire to only be in the ownership business. Okay. Ownership of the business. But you get sucked into, I mean, it's a bit like that, you know, that godfather thing, you know, every time I get out, I get sucked back in um, and uh, but because business owners do they get sucked into the day-to-day -day, they get sucked into the minutiae because let's face it they founded it they probably started either by themselves maybe with one or two people and at the beginning everything was about them you know everything was about getting this thing you know breathing some life into it and getting it off the ground and they forgot or forget or maybe never even knew that these are three distinct jobs and you don't have to have all three hats on your head all at the same time. So getting an, a business owner psychologically separated from doing a job is one of the big challenges because usually their sense of value mm. is tied to their job. Part of their identity is, well, I own the place, but the actual value that they attribute to themselves is in the day-to-day -day tasks that they do. But if I, if I don't have a job, how do I earn any money? Exactly. But if you don't have a job, then you build your business so that it pays dividends and that's where your earnings are. You know, We strip away those layers and it's a bit like if you had Velcro and you, if you had strips of Velcro and you'd put them all together and then you scrunch them up really tight and then you try and strip them apart and, and it's that stripping apart of those three roles is fundamental to where I start because I genuinely take my business owners on the hardest, longest seven-inch journey of their lives. And it's the seven inches between 
their ears because they have got to get psychologically from the value in my business is me doing the task to the value in the business is me not being in it. That is tough because yep. entrepreneurs by their very nature are quite obsessive people. Like I always say there's three seriously addictive things in the world. Seriously addictive. Mm. They take and e equally take 10, typically 10 years to get over an addiction or I'd say recover. I'd, I'd say recover. I don't think anybody recovers from it. Mm. There's heroin. Yep. Okay. And we all know how, how what damage that does. There's high fructose corn syrup. Yeah. It's more addictive than heroin. Okay. And then there's owning your own business. Yes. <laughs> and honestly, owning your own business is going to cause you more addiction problems than heroin. <laughs> Do you know something? I truly believe that mm. because this is why people then become serial entrepreneurs because yep. ultimately the, the fix, the high of getting started with one business, I think you're absolutely right. I've never yeah. thought of it that way before, but you are so right. It, it helps people understand why that journey for separating themselves out, is, you know, from the day to day and then from the control, it helps them understand the challenge that they've uh, got. Uh, and trust me, it's like smoking. So, some people can give up smoking like that. Mm. Some people, it's a, it's a lifelong battle. Uh, so some people do find it easier. Um, some people find it really, really hard. And then a light bulb goes on and then it's really, really easy. But uh, as with all human beings, we're all different. So what would you or who would you describe as your most challenging client to date without naming any <laughs> names? If you if, if you can do so in a discreet fashion or, okay. or describe um, what their problem was, that, that's the better. Yeah. How could you describe their, the, the problem of your most difficult client? I've had a client in the past, uh, now very successfully out of, it, out of his business, thank, thankfully. When I first engaged with him, it was a case of, you know, he absolutely was on his knees. I need to get out of here. It's damaging my life. It's damaging my relationships. I know that I'm damaging the business. I'm upsetting my staff. And, you know, I, I, you know, I, I kind of know that I'm the problem. But it's all very well to admit the problem. Started a succession plan. He had engaged a new general manager who was going to become the man managing director and then take over from him. We started doing planning. But every couple of weeks, he would just completely regress. So he would wake up in the morning and he would have a flash of an idea. He would go into the business and he'd literally completely undermine everybody who was there. All the, all the decision-making structures that we'd put in place completely undermine them. And this went on for about hmm, eight or nine months. And then I realized actually something really drastic needed to happen. So I hung up my boots. I literally said, I, I just can't do this anymore. None of your staff can do it anymore either. I'm going to walk away for a month and you are not going to contact me for that whole month. We're going to put a date in the diary. And in that month's time, if you want to continue like this, then you'll do it without me. But I'll find someone else for you to help you. But if you really genuinely want to change uh, the way that you behave, then we'll step forward. But And I, I had let things go beyond what, where I would normally do. But it was fairly early in my career of doing this specifically. When you're first starting out, it, there's always that fear of, oh, my God, I might never get another client again. But equally, I couldn't let this fail because I could just see that what he was doing was wasting his time killing his staff, wasting my time. And more importantly, he was wasting the business's money by paying me for something that wasn't being very effective. And actually, by taking that month out, his staff actually all got together, sat him down and said, look, we literally can't go on. Uh, we can't go on like this. We really love this business. We love the clients. We actually really love you. We, but we do not like the way that we work. Now, you're either in or you're out. But if you are in, we are out. Uh, this is not a, this is not an intervention of a, uh, you know this is not a threat it's just you just need to be aware so his entire senior management team again gave him a couple of weeks to go and think about it and he did a really wise thing he went on holiday he went on holiday for two weeks and his staff completely ignored the daily phone calls uh the receptionist actually took the calls intercepted them and he just, his staff completely ignored him for two weeks. And when he came back, he realized that he'd been away for two weeks. He hadn't spoken to anybody and nobody had died. And actually, he'd come back from the holiday and he felt great. 
So he phoned me up and said, okay, let's get back on this horse. And literally eight months later, managing director was in place. He wasn't working in the business at all. He was effectively became chairman in the business, which allowed him to have a title, still had the ownership, and they completely had their succession plan in place. And he had an idea for another business and he went and started it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, which made him really happy because one of the reasons why he was so frustrated with the other business is because he didn't really do ticking over, which I completely get, by the way. So he was constantly frustrated by the fact that if he was involved in this business, he wasn't able to go and start something new. And actually what he was able to start was um, something that was more aligned to a charitable foundation. So he was allowed to go and do something that was really good, that allowed him to contribute to charitable causes that he really believed in. And it gave his life so much more purpose. Now, that business has now been bought out by the management team. And the old business owner was the provided the vendor finance for the management team to slowly buy him out over a period of years. Wow, that's excellent. Business has doubled. Actually, it's probably quadrupled by now. Business more than doubled in the period where the management team had bought the business out because the original business owner was totally holding them back. And this is actually a really valuable lesson for not just for business owners, but in business in, in general. Where your business is now, let's call it A, you might want to get it to B. And B might be a very, very different place from A. And guess what? When you're in two different places, you need two different structures, you need different people. You know, I come from West Coast of Cumbria. And trust me, when you go up there, you need a jumper, you need waterproofs, and you need boots. <laughs> okay. When I went to Tobago, I don't need any jumpers. I definitely didn't even need any waterproofs. And I think they would have laughed me out if I'd gone there with my boots on. Indeed. So two different places, two completely different requirements, two different types of people that you need. And it's the same in business. Exactly. And I think that's really what drives a lot of businesses to seek out a mentor, to somebody to mm -hmm. give them that clarity. Because obviously, sometimes you're getting in your own way. Mm -hmm. And you need somebody to say, do you know something? The problem isn't everybody else, it's you. <laughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. And that is really hard it's really hard thing to say trust me I look in the mirror every day and I'm like seriously what could I what can I get out of the way all day because I, I have a team and yeah, even this morning my conversation with one of my team members was you know you need to stop me getting in the way and uh, so you know don't don't feel bad if you say I the problem here is you. <laughs> Sometimes I don't see it. I'm willing to do something about it when I see it. But we all have blind spots, especially around ourselves. Of course, of course. When I looked at your website, you mentioned your most challenging client to date. But I read somewhere that you took over running a zoo. Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, by accident as well. I went into the, I, I was married at the time and um, I followed my husband to the Middle East. I, we'd sold the last business that I had been involved in and it, just everything came together at the right time. For you know, he was starting the job out there. I was finishing everything I had to do in the UK. You know, ostensibly, I went out there to be a housewife. Uh, of course, that lasted about 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was just so used to working and being really active. And I started to think that maybe it was an ideal opportunity for me to come back to the UK and do my law degree, which I did do actually eventually in, in 2012. But way back then... And I remember overhearing this conversation. I was actually in a swimming pool and, and I overheard this conversation. And th there was some magic words being floated around like commercial accountant and skills shortage. And where are we going to get this person? And I got out of the swimming pool and I just went over to the table where these words are being spoken. And, and I said, I said, sorry, I've been earwigging your conversation and I can't help but think that, is there a job here? Because I think I might be able to do it. Two days later, I was actually going to go and work at, uh, what I didn't realise it was a zoo, but I, I pitched up at, the, the, there's no concept of an address in the Middle East. You, you, you get maps 
uh, and you get told to go to places on maps. And I turned up at the back door of the zoo and there was a security guard there. And I said, oh, I think I'm lost. I think I'm in the wrong place. And I showed him the map and I showed him my name. And he went, no, no, your name's on the list. I drove up and they'd got me an office. And really, I wasn't going to be anything to do with the zoo. I was going to be working on a project to develop some of the infrastructure and some property development mm-hmm. uh, and actually just do some commercial appraisal, taking a master plan into this massive development in the middle of the desert that just happened to be attached to the zoo. I think it was about three or four weeks in. Well, it certainly wasn't very long before all of a sudden I went into my office one morning. The queue that was normally outside the director's office was now outside my office. And I said to my assistant, what's going on? They said, oh, they fired the zoo director yesterday for something. He's back He's back in Australia now. He said, um, and until they get another one, you're it. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know anything about running a zoo. And, and fundamentally, it's really no different to any other business. Okay, animals need to be fed. People need to be paid. So customers need to be serviced internally the the customers really were the zoo animals of course staff need to be paid and and looked after visitors come to the zoo we need to collect their money and bank their money and and that's pretty much it you know it's collect the money that's paid pay your staff feed the animals make sure it all runs like clockwork how hard can it be (laughs) hardest hardest job one of one of the most enjoyable but also one of the hardest jobs i've ever done real people real business real talk. You've mentioned succession planning, but you've also mentioned exit planning. So I'm going to approach you a two-pronged question. The first thing is, what are your tips for succession planning? One or two tips that you can share. Then subsequently, what are your tips for exit planning? One or two tips that you can share. So with succession planning, the biggest tip I can give a business owner is delegate the decision-making. So when you actually do that piece of work where you actually think about all the things that all the things that you are currently making a decision about, just think about who else in the business could make that decision if they were given the parameters to do so. So that's a real biggie. And most people would be surprised by that because most succession planning comes from the HR perspective, which is get really good people. You can get really good people, but if they don't have the structure for decision making, and all the decisions still come back to you. If you get really good people in, they're just going to get really unhappy really quickly. And uh, then they'll go and work somewhere else where they've got more autonomy. And because delegating that decision making is much easier when you've got really competent people around you. Indeed. So one of the tips I would always do is make sure that you get the right roles in your business and then get the right bums on those seats. So make sure the structure of your business works in terms of the jobs that need to be doing, the job description and the tasking, and then worry about, so once you get that description right, then get the right person in that seat. Because a lot of people, what they do is, as particularly startups, they just think, right, I'm, I'm just going to get this group of really competent people And we'll figure out what they do as we go along. As you get bigger, it is much more important to figure out what needs to be done and then get the right person in that seat. And when you you go from that startup phase through what I call no man's land to that growth phase, you're going to lose some people that have probably been really loyal to you, but they're just not right for the next phase of your business. But it's just business. It's not personal. So treat those people well, but help them move somewhere else. Now, on the exit planning, I think the first thing is, and it's the first real biggie, is actually understand what you want from your business. So if, if you know what the outcome is, because I've, I've heard business owners say, oh, never leaving my business. Okay, really? What are you taking? Because I want some of that. <laughs> 100% of us are going to die. 100%. So You might not be thinking about leaving your business, but you are going to leave your business at some point. And if you leave your business unexpectedly without planning, then there's a very good chance that that business will be insolvent within 12 months. Because when when the owner is the single point of decision making, everything falls apart very, very quickly. And it might not be days or weeks, it might be months. But generally, when a business owner dies unexpectedly, that business is insolvent within 12 to 18 months. So, So from an exit planning, perspective, it it would be literally would be understand what it is that you want to get out of your business. And if you have a kind of idea of when that might be, because you can kick the can down the road, 
But once you've got a plan in place, you can actually build some resilience into your business, which means that if something happens to you, and I always talk about the four horsemen of the business apocalypse, which are death, disease, disability, and divorce, things that happen to you, you don't necessarily plan for. Okay. But if some of those things come and happen to you and you've already got an exit plan, then you can execute the exit plan whenever you need to. And it means that you're going to protect the income that your family rely on right now while you're in the business, then you they, they, that will be protected. Um, you can protect the overall value in your business and your business is more likely to carry on after uh, something has happened to you. So think about your exit options because you don't always have to sell. There are 101 ways to skin the business exit cat. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. I'll really thank you for those because I think the... The audience, the cash flow crew listening to that will take great stock in that advice because a lot of people, as you say, you know, nobody's taking their business with them. At some point, yeah. you're going to leave or it's going to leave you, one of the two. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is that a very wise woman, my mom, said, <laughs> uh, there's no pockets in a shroud. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I've heard that one and it's a good one. It's a good one. The Cash Flow Show, coming to you from the city of London. Now, I'm going to try something that we've tried recently, and I want to know if you're up for it. And this is called the 60-second shootout. Yep. <laughs> right, so this is, this is brand new. We're going to ask you a set of questions within 60 seconds, game show style. I'm looking for a job on Family Fortunes, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> and it's basically this or that. So one of the questions might be summer or winter, and you pick which of those two. So if you're up for that and you fancy it, yep. we can start off with the 60 second shootout and your time starts now. Beach or skiing? Beach. Summer or winter? Winter. Fiction or drama? Fiction. Pop or rock? Rock. <laughs> I knew this was coming. Go back in time or go forward in time? Oh, forward in time. Okay. Jacuzzi or swimming pool? Oh, neither. <laughs> you got to pick one. Swimming pool. <laughs> okay, thank you. Sort by rating or sort by price? Rating. Sauce on the top or sauce on the side? On the side. I'm waiting for the reply to this one. Air drums or air guitar? Oh, can't I have both? <laughs> drums, air drums. If Parking I can play the air drums, I definitely can't play the air guitar. <laughs> Parking ticket or speeding ticket? Uh, speeding ticket. Secret handshakes or passwords? Passwords. Staycation or vacation? Uh, vacation. Rich and unknown or poor and famous? Oh, rich and unknown. <laughs> <laughs> and that is your 60 second shootout, Christine Nicholson. <laughs> I, can, I just want to swap the swimming pool for the air guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being such a great sport on that one. Obviously, you've been kind enough to share your tips for succession planning and exit planning. So I want to go back to you as an individual. What drives you as a person? Oh, goodness me. I've been doing some work on this mentally just uh, just recently because I am a total hyper achiever. I wouldn't say I was competitive, but if there's a medal at the end of it, <laughs> or, or like I have four master's degrees now and I'm studying for another one. And um, so I'm kind of gathering those kind of medals. But ultimately, I think it's I'm just endlessly curious. And the curiosity just seems to have hooked itself onto some kind of defined achievement. So um, so I think endless curiosity uh, is, is probably the, the, the driving factor. So starting again, what would you do differently in your business? Oh, I gave up imposter syndrome for Lent this year. Uh, I would have done that 30 years ago. Uh, and I certainly would have done it in my first, my what I call my first grown-up business 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I, I would have just parked the imposter syndrome in a very dark corner uh, and left it there. Uh, it's, it's the one thing that I, I would have done uh, differently. I'd have believed in myself a bit more. What have been your experiences when mentoring as a woman? <laughs> incredibly privileged because 
I suppose that is the thing about being on the radio is that you can't see that I'm only five foot two and and about eight and a half stone ringing wet. So I'm I'm titchy. I'm like a sparrow. <laughs> and all my clients tend to have been really big blokes, like they're over six feet tall and generally over 15 stone. So I think I've got away with a lot of bluntness and directness because I can deliver it in a way that doesn't say, oh, and and and, and I can come and punch you in the face. So my words do the, the 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 hard work. There's no physical threat from me. So the words are actually the the thing that knock people out of um being passive or feeling sorry for themselves. So I think actually being female and being tiny has actually given me great privilege. People open up to me and and 90%, I would say 95% of my clients have been men. And I think they've just opened up to me in a way that they perhaps wouldn't to another man. And I think that's actually a very good point. I think because of what you do and because you are upfront, most men will take advice from a woman who knows what she's doing. Yeah. If a woman just comes along and says, listen, this is what you need to do, a man will say, yeah, it makes sense. And I think the difficulty, for example, obviously you know that obviously I run a debt recovery company. The fact is I know that when my female clients come along, they say, Clayton, just get it sorted, just deal with it. I know that you can deal with it. They just leave me to it. Whereas the men tend to be a bit more reserved it's as almost as if to say, I don't want to appear weak, as as yeah. opposed to taking on board your initial comment, which is, why are you doing that job which you shouldn't be doing? It is a strange dynamic, but, and I'm very lucky, and I, and I know there's a lot of press around, you know, a lot of people, particularly, unfortunately, the police are really getting it at the moment. And, and I know quite a lot of police officers who are absolutely do not reflect the dark side of that. But I wouldn't say I'm lucky, I'm blessed then I haven't really experienced a whole load of sexism or misogyny. But maybe that's because I just don't tolerate it, so I go somewhere else. Yeah. I'm not sticking around here for you to make me feel bad. I can I can make myself feel bad. I'm going to go somewhere over there where people are going to make me feel good. So I think I've always had a reasonable sense of self. And whilst I'm quite introverted, and in my sessions I'm quite softly spoken, you'll very rarely ever hear me shout. I think that means that I get listened to more. Yeah, but I think, to be honest with you, especially because you're dealing mostly with men, men really admire straight talking. Mm. You might not necessarily like what the person's got to say, but when you're talking to your friend in the pub, they go, you know something, that Christine woman, she was right, you know? <laughs> yes. Now we're going to move on to our next section here, which is what are you like? Which is supposed to be said <laughs> in a Cockney accent, but um, uh, we shall do our best for now. And so we're going to talk about your favourite book, business book, favourite records, favourite film and TV box set. So let's start with your favourite book. Oh, you've got two here. The first one is A Prayer for Owen Meany. What does that mean to you? John Irving is an American storyteller. And he is extraordinary. His stories are like the threads of rope that come together and, and twist into something that is usually pretty unusual. And A Prayer for Owen Meany in the first few pages had me howling with laughter, crying, like sobbing from my boots. And uh, it's quite a thick book. But it has, it's the story of every aspect of human nature and the human condition, you know, human characters. They're all flawed in some way, but ultimately it's a love story. And, but it, I would say it's a very masculine love story and it's not a romantic story. But if, no matter whether you're male or female, if you haven't absolutely fallen in love with Owen Meany by the end of the book, and he's a very flawed character, then you you have you you have no humanity <laughs> it, it's uh, it's just an extraordinary story and it's set in the during the vietnam war time and it's a story of extraordinary sacrifice mm -hmm. actually it chokes me up just thinking about it but on the lighter side the other book i chose was do androids dream of electric sheep and if anybody knows um philip K. Dick, he's just one of the most amazing sci-fi writers sadly he's died now and do androids Dream of Electric Sheep is actually the baseline story for Blade Runner. Indeed. Um, which is my favourite, favourite film. And again, 
you know, the theme there is uh, ultimately it's about what it what is it to be human. And yeah, so it's an it's a very short story, but it's an amazing story. With that in mind, we're going to skip over and go to the film, TV and box set situation, because obviously, as you've just mentioned, you've chosen Blade Runner, Harrison mm. Ford in his prime. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you know, as Deckard, the dashing film noir-esque detective. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. One, that's one of my favourites as well. Love it. I love that film noir thing. And then adding sci-fi to it is absolutely brilliant. And music from Vangelis. Yes. Oh, my goodness me. Yes, absolutely. If you are a synthesizer player or a keyboard player, you will bow down to the soundtrack of Blade Runner in all its entirety. So you've also chosen Spiral, which appears to be a French drama. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, again, there's a theme here, (laughs) which is it's really about humanity. But Spiral is about a group of detectives in in one in in Paris, and they are not necessarily murder detectives. They are they investigate all kinds of crime, uh, specifically around drugs. It's just about the the main. I think there's four or five characters, two main characters, five characters in all and it's really about how flawed they are it's about you know what the right thing to do is versus what the actual legal thing to do is and there's lots of moral ambiguity but ultimately it's about how people care for each other and look after each other and but it's quite if you like scandi noir you'll like spiral okay it can be a bit dark and moody at times but um yeah it's very 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 real Okay, fair enough. So we're going to go back up now to your favourite business book, and you've chosen two now. <laughs> yes, because I'm greedy. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can choose. You can choose as many as you like. Mm. But the but the E Myth for me was when I read it, it made me realise that some of the things that I preach. Uh, and and I did the, I read that book before my I started my first business, but it made me realise that some of the things that I preach are not necessarily some of the things that I that I was doing. And it really is the it's it's almost the heart of exit and succession planning because most people start a business doing the doing. And uh, if you've ever heard Michael Gerber speak, when you read the E Myth, you can only ever read it with Michael Gerber's voice in your head. Ah, fair enough to doing the doing that you can never feel like you've ever find a way out of doing the doing, which always restricts the size of your business. The minute that your brain switches to, I'm, I need to be running a business. I'm not doing that job. Uh, it's a light switch moment. Uh, and Michael Gerber's very, he's an irascible character, but he's a proper character. Indeed, indeed. So we've got the E-Myth by Michael Gerber, and you've got also Building a Story Brand by Donald Miller. Well, this is not only because it's a very effective book, it can be read in three hours, it can be implemented in seven days fully, and uh, it really will make a difference to your business. I don't know a single person who has implemented the book and not had a significant difference. When I started again after um, I was in a business partnership for a while, when I restarted back on my own, I took the story brand and and that's how I started again. And oh my goodness me, it was it properly skyrocketed my my business. So that's one reason why. But the other reason is. If I had a dinner party where I could just invite all the people that I would really want to meet and I would hope that they would be as nice as I hope that, that I think they are, Donald Miller would be on my dinner table okay. because he's just, he's this, he's a Texan, but he's not loud. He's very gentle and he's just a really real human being. He's he's very, very charming, but not in a manipulative way. He's just a lovely human being. Started off in, uh, I think he he wrote some books and he did some screenwriting and uh, so he was in the film industry and he's taken all the lessons from that and actually made uh, something called the Business Made Simple University. So he's got a number of courses. Uh, you can go and buy these little courses and he, and he does this. The, the story brand is the, is the main kind of core of how he's built that business. But uh, once you read the story brand, you will go on to lots of other Donald Miller books and he just feels like a delightful person to spend time with. 
Well, I'm glad you said nice things about Texans because when I look at the demographics surrounding this show, a lot of people are listening from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I went I went to Texas uh, way back in 2012 and, and I spent about six weeks there, Texas and Louisiana. And I have to say, the only reason I had to come home, every day I ate my own body weight in food that was just spectacular. Everything tasted like I was eating food for the first time. It was amazing. And the hospitality that I experienced, unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. It was just um, one of the best travel experiences I've ever had. And I long to go back. Well, Texas, here we come. We're waiting. <laughs> We're waiting to see. We're waiting for your hospitality, Texas. Open arms. <laughs> well, before we finish off on Texas and we move forward here, you've got your favourite records and you've picked two 70s classics. Mm. Uh, the first is Honky Dory by David Bowie. Yeah, David Bowie. I mean, what can I say? He is not of this earth. Uh, sadly, not of this earth anymore. But there was just something uniquely alien about him. And when I was very young, I listened to a lot of music on the radio and, and discovering David Bowie was actually made me realise that I wasn't a weirdo. Yes, I might have been a bit weird, but at least I wasn't the only weirdo in town. And, and uh yeah, his creativity and his approach was just amazing. His music was was fantastic. And I've got a very eclectic music taste. So I, I regularly go to opera, but equally, you know, one of the best live gigs I've ever been to was Ramstein. Um, uh, anybody who doesn't know who Ramstein is, go and Google them. Better actually, YouTube them, uh, R-A-M-M-S-T-E-I-N. Uh, they're a death metal, German death metal band. They're amazing live. But I would never have explored that if it hadn't been actually less David Bowie and more the other album that I chose, which was The Lamb Lies Down in Broadway, Genesis. The lads from Charterhouse School. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's with Peter Gabriel still there, isn't he? And this is the concept album. Absolutely. This was the equivalent of opera, but in rock form. And um, I absolutely love rock music. I wish I could play an instrument. Um I, I wish I could sing, <laughs> you know, I wish I could per perform, but, you know, that's not for me. But, um, uh, well, I do, I, but I do in the privacy of my own home with all the curtains closed. <laughs> and, uh, but that, that album in, in itself, the, the whole album is like an opera story, um, but with, well, it's a classic prog rock, really, but you cannot beat the way that Gabriel sings Everything about him, the performance, the singing, the passion, the, the different emotions that come through. It's a proper roller coaster of an album. So now we're coming towards the end of our show and uh, it's gone incredibly quickly. And I always am surprised at how quickly these things go. But I wanted to touch a bit more on you and your work at Christine Nicholson Business Mentor. So what are your plans for your business going forward? Well, uh, this year I've been asked several times to do something along commercial and financial skills for senior managers or people who are stepping into or preparing to step into C-suite roles or step up to being directors. So I think next year you'll see that I'm I'm going to do a bit more of that and I can predict a book coming out of that as a result because there's always a book in there somewhere. I'll actually start promoting some of my books previously. My first book, which is now four years old, has just sold 10,000 copies. Well done. But I've done no marketing for it at all. And I just think, well, what could happen if I actually did some marketing on my books? Uh, I've got quite a few exits coming up. So a number of my clients are looking at actually activating their exit plans ne next year. So it looks like I'll rather than doing all the preparation for the build up to the exit, which is primarily what I do every now and again, I, I actually hold someone's hand while they go through the exit. And I've got a couple of those coming up. But otherwise, I'm just going to stick to my knitting, which is making sure that business owners get through that journey of understanding what how their business is serving them, how they can get out of the day to day, how they can hand over control, how they can enjoy the ownership and be ready for exit whenever they choose. Indeed, that's excellent. So 
Where can mm. people find your books? We want to get them to 100,000, never mind 10,000. <laughs> oh, that would, that would be great. So if you look me up on Amazon, Christine Nicholson on Amazon, there's only one or two other authors called Christine Nicholson. But my first book is called Five Minute Finance and all my other books will turn up if you find Five Minute Finance. Where can people find you on the internet? They can obviously find you via your book, of course, but if, what if they want to work with you? They think to themselves, you know something, this Christine lady, she makes a lot of sense. <laughs> How can they engage with you? So my website is businessmentoruk, or one word, .com. It actually shows on my website exactly what I do and who I do it for. So it's very easy to, to figure out whether I'm for you or not. Uh, I actually have a quiz uh, about how, getting exit ready. Um, so you can look me up on getexitready.com. Uh, it's 15 questions. It takes six six minutes and I send you a little report uh, thereafter. That will give you a good indication of uh, the kind of things that I'm going to work on if we worked together. And um, and otherwise, look, look me up on LinkedIn. Um, I'm the one that starts off by saying multi-award winning uh, business mentor. I've, I've been business mentor of the year three years in a row now. Uh, wow. 2020, 2021 and 2022. And I got my fingers crossed for 2023. So I'm going to be the Anton Deck of business mentoring. <laughs> and for the American <laughs> listeners who, who don't know who Anton Deck are, they have won the British TV Best Presenter Awards for the last 21 years. Yes, but I get the feeling that we, as the British, I think we're a bit too scared. We, I think they're like the Ravens at, um, uh, at, uh, yes. at the Tower of London, that if they don't yes. win, yeah. I think Alison, yes. Alison Hammond is um, uh, looking to break their lucky streak. I'm going to ask one question that is just one thing I've thrown in. Is there a particular type of client or particular type of business that you would like to work with in the future? Just sort of something, a fantasy exit planning. God, my favourite people to work with are people who've invented something. I just find inventors absolutely fascinating. But if someone came to me and they said that they'd invented something that was going to go on one of the rockets to Mars and that that's what their business was and they want to get out, then somebody who's sending something to Mars but exiting their business, I would be all over that. Because uh, that would just be that that would send my brain into hyperspace, given my book choices, my film choices you know, and and the whole David Bowie thing. Uh, Indeed. If you're out there and you've invented something that is going to be on a rocket to Mars, please give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Christine Nicholson, Business Mentor of the Year 2020, 2021, 2022 and hopefully 2023. Thank you for joining us on the Cashflow Show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, it's been my pleasure too. Thank you. You're most welcome. We've come to the end of the Cashflow Show for today, but I would like to say thank you to our guests for taking the time to share their knowledge, wisdom and insight. If you loved what you've heard on this week's episode, please head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts and leave a five-star review and feedback as it really does help. Whilst you're there, listen to some of our other episodes, which you are bound to enjoy. We want to make this the go-to podcast for entrepreneurs wherever they are in the world and spreading the word really is the best way to grow our show and our community to achieve greater things. Be sure to join us next time for real people, real business, real talk.